Here at Waterstone, we focus on living and loving like Jesus. In practice, this means that we connect with one another, engage in justice, and serve sacrificially. We are so glad that you're here and invite you to join us in person. If you're able to attend weekend services, we gather on Saturdays at 5.30 and Sundays in person and online at 10. We look forward to connecting with you. All right, kids, thank you for being with us. We like to do this, especially on holiday weekends, just to have you with us and worship with us. We just celebrate you today. We have a special treat. At some point during this, this, the message today, there's going to be a random song from one of the greatest rock groups of all time. And when you hear it, we want you kids especially to stand up and start dancing. All right? And the challenge is to get your mom and your dad, especially your dad, to dance with you. Okay, kids? Does that sound like a deal? All right. When that song rolls, you'll know it, and you lead us in the dance today. Every weekend, our services are animated by these words of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark, the first words spoken in Mark. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here and now, like, like urgently here and now. Repent, align, change, transform, and believe, trust, lean in this good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's an invitation to follow Jesus into the reality of his reign. And in his reign, on the cross, he's disarmed all the powers of sin and evil and death. They have no ultimate control over us. And by his resurrection, he has walked out of his grave to give us the promise of life in a new heavens and a new earth that begins now. We proclaim that message and that Jesus, and we demonstrate the heart of that Jesus as he desires that all come to know him and that all in this world be cared for. And that's the reason why you see on our screens and in the stage, we do Compassion Sunday. So today is a special day. We're going to talk about why we should be involved with a ministry like Compassion International. Now, here's, here's some things to throw out at you right now. We have 425 Compassion kids around the world that are sponsored by Waterstone. And our goal is to get to 500, and we shoot for 500 every year. First of all, that's just incredible, right, to think of our church having 500 kids sponsored around the world. If you do the math on that, it's going up to $43 beginning this fall to sponsor a child. That's $258,000 from this church on top of everything else. That is reckless generosity. The wild kingdom produces reckless generosity. Quick, quick, do you know the most surprising thing in that story in Luke about the widow who gives her last two pennies into the offering? Do you know what's most surprising about that? Not that she did it, but that Jesus didn't stop her. Reckless generosity. Now, I know some of you are thinking already, oh great, should have gone camping. <laughs> An infomercial for Compassion International. 
Great. Here we go. How long is this? Yeah, longer than you want. No, not an infomercial. A different liturgy today. James chapter 1, verse 27, describes exactly what we're doing here today. James chapter 1. Religion, that word is often translated elsewhere in the New Testament as worship. Worship that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What we're doing today as we demonstrate the heart of God for children around the world is actually lifting up, worshiping the heart, the compassionate heart of God. And this is a profound act of worship, what we're doing today. So I'd like to get right to it. Three reasons why you should sponsor a child, why we should. I know some of you maybe don't have a child and this is your opportunity today and our our ask is that you, on the way out, stop at a table and uh, sponsor a child. I also know that some of us sponsor five, six. Uh, most of my small group attends Saturday night service, but last night we huddled up after, and most of us sponsor three to six kids already, and uh, seven sounded like a good number. So we're asking for more, and we're especially asking you to help us get to over 500 sponsored kids. Now, first reason is because sponsoring a child with an organization like Compassion reveals God's heart to the world and for the world. It reveals God's heart. So uh, in, in the scriptures, let me back up even from there before we go to the scriptures, Waterstone theological vision has always been this, to try and find those things revealed in scripture that God seems to passionately care about. What God cares about, we strive to care about. And what you see in the scriptures is that again and again, God cares about four groups of people that he lists by name again and again in the scriptures. In fact, if you tally them all up throughout the whole Bible, there's over 2,000 verses that describe showing mercy or seeking justice for these four groups of people. Let me say that again. 2,000 verses. Now, we all know that if God said it once, it would have been enough. But to say it 2,000 times, that these people matter to me, we're listening, right? I bet you could name the four groups, shout them out. Orphans, widows, immigrants, poor. You rock, you beat Saturday night, way to go. Way to go. Orphans, widows, immigrants, and the poor. Let's just go through the scriptures and see a sampling. These, these are the four that God calls out again and again because they're on the very fringe of survival. They are, they are the ones outside of every social net in the ancient world. They are the ones that are, are on daily sustenance. Like, where are we going to find tomorrow's provision? These are the four groups in the ancient world that are on the edge survival. So we go to Zechariah. Let's start with the prophets. You can read the prophets and you will bump into this language again and again. This is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. 
Do not plot evil against each other, but they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and covered their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Almighty had sent by His Spirit through the earlier prophets. So, here's emotion, here's feeling. The Lord Almighty was very angry. That's the prophets. From the prophets, let's go to the law. We read this in Deuteronomy chapter 27, and let me put a frame around this. This is the people of Israel about to go into the promised land, and Deuteronomy 27 and 28, God's giving them their liturgy. This is part of the liturgy that they say as they meet publicly for worship. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. <laughs> I heard some kids saying, that's awesome. Now, quick, a quick uh, insertion. This is free of charge. I was doing some reading last week. One of the journals that I subscribed to is called the Journal for the Evangelical Theological Society. Woohoo. Uh, I was reading an article and I learned something in the, the decades that I've been a Christian that I've never like, learned before, and it's this. You, you, some of you may remember this. As you read through the law, God tells the people, the farmers in Israel, as you harvest the grain, as you harvest the crops, don't go back twice. Leave whatever's dropped for the poor and invite them onto your property to help themselves. Pretty radical. God's people are different than the nations. Now, here's what I missed. Not only were they not to go back over the field twice, they were also to designate corners of the field specifically for the poor. I don't know, I missed that. I missed that. Even more radical generosity. In other words, don't just invite them on for what you missed. Actually grow parts of your crops for them. Radical. Let's go to the Psalms. So if that was their liturgy, the amens, here's what they're singing in the Psalms. I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. That is our God. So let's just sit in this for a moment and let's experience it. Let's say that uh, I'm out in the hub and you meet me for the first time and say, Larry, help me get to know you. And so I say, I'm Larry. I'm married to a beautiful woman named Jan. I have two sons, Ethan and Luke. Then, you know, I, I go on from there. And while we're talking and you're, you're meeting me, Jesus comes up. You say, Jesus, tell me about yourself. And according to this kind of language and its frequency, Jesus would say something like, uh, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. I uh, am a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. That's who I am. That's the calling card. And so in Proverbs, another wisdom book, here's the calling card, Proverbs chapter 14. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. In other words, it's not just calling card. It's uh, proof of life, right? It's if you show contempt for the poor, you kind of don't know God. If you respect the poor, you're right where he is. So let's, again, let's experience this. Let's sit in this for one more moment. In a culture in the ancient world that was patriarchal, male-run, male-driven, where's God? 
over here with uh, widows. In a culture that was family-driven, everything was about family. Where's God? Over here with the orphan. In a culture where everything was about blood and tribe and citizenship, where's God? Over here with the immigrant. That is the heart of God. That's why we sponsor Compassion Children, because God's heart is with the orphan and the widow, with the immigrant and the poor. And so now we celebrate God's heart. There. Yeah, Walt said, this isn't Led Zeppelin. The Beatles. Okay, kids, the Beatles. You got to have the Beatles on your playlist. Some of you in this room will be like a little shocked to like totally sink this in that February 7th, 1964 was the invasion of the Beatles to America. 60 years ago. No one, <laughs> Josh, let's leave him back there. No, no. All right. First reason to sponsor a compassion child is to celebrate the heart of God. The second reason is to reveal our hearts and to see our hearts. Let's go into the New Testament for a quick look at a story uh, that where we get to see our heart a little bit. One day, uh, a man comes up to Jesus and asks him this question in Mark uh, 10. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees. This is like incredible because a little later in the story, we learn that this is a wealthy millennial who owns a tech company, a startup in San Francisco, and is doing really well. This is like the theologians call him the rich young ruler. He's got it all. Or maybe not. Because he's on his knees before Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I'm telling you, the surprises just thickened from here. So what happens next? Uh, we learn about who he is, and he's, he's asking. And so the next surprise is the way that Jesus uh, answers him initially. He says, well, what's the law say? And then Jesus quotes the last six of the Ten Commandments, the ones about loving your neighbor. You know, don't murder, don't covet, don't bear false witness, honor your father. Oh, he quotes all those. Now, imagine, like we're scratching our heads now because if someone came up to us and said, how can I have eternal life and know God forever? We'd say Jesus, right? And Jesus instead says, no, it's, it's the law. What's going on here? 
Well, there's something way deeper going on that Jesus is trying to look at this man's heart and get this man to look at his own heart. So, the, the, man, the rich young ruler answers Jesus, those six commandments, done them all since I was in the raccoon creek down the hall. Raccoon class, not creek. The raccoon class down the hall, I've done them all. There's a surprise. But then another surprise. Jesus does not disagree with him. Instead, Jesus says, okay, your heart's feeling pretty good about yourself that way. Verse 21, Jesus says, this is interesting. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One millennial to another. One thing you lack. Like Jesus is going to build a brick wall for him to run into. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. Here's a man who's hungry for God, who wants eternal life, who's working hard at what he thinks will get him eternal life. And Jesus says, if you're going to find it, let's look at your heart. Your loves are disordered. What you have there is being a good person. What you have there is your clinging heart to your material wealth. Because we know what happens next is the man loved his wealth and he walked away. Jesus said it starts with the highest allegiance in your heart. Jesus said you have to relate to your success in a different way. And the only way you're going to find me is if you get rid of everything in between. If you get rid of your wealth. Am I enough for you, God says. That's the question. That's the question. Well, the man walks away. In that moment, a sad story, and Jesus seizes it as a teaching opportunity. We read in verse 23 what Jesus says to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. Here's more surprise. Jesus said again, children, how hard, second time, it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Kids, picture that. Then for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them with, man, this is impossible because we can't change hearts, but now with God, all things are possible with God because he can change hearts. From this point on, in Jesus' ministry, he gets really hard on money. And I'm just giving you a fair warning over the next five minutes, there's gonna be some squirming because we're gonna be on hard, as hard on money as Jesus is. Jesus is hard on money for two reasons from this text. First, he's hard on money because money obscures the ownership stewardship quotient. We'll talk about that. Second, money obscures the temporal eternal quotient. Let me dive into them a little bit. One is this uh, uh, ownership stewardship quotient is we should be looking up when we're looking down. So let me unpack that. The American way or not just American, maybe that's not fair, but anyone who knows and loves wealth way, it's often this, that we've worked hard for our money. 
I mean, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We've put in countless hours. We've become experts at what we do. We've fought. We've clawed. We've worked really, really hard. And so what we have, here's, here's the view, we have earned. And because we've earned it, whose is it? It's ours. That's what we think. We think it's ours. Ownership, stewardship, quotient. The kingdom of God is at hand, and the kingdom of God invades our hearts, and the kingdom of God begins to ask some hard questions about this way of looking at what we have. And the kingdom of God look is this. Well, okay, let's just think about that for a minute. How'd you get here? Well, mom and dad. Okay, but how'd, how'd you really get here? Why are you here? And why are, do you have the skills that you have? Why do you have the mind that you have? Why have you had the opportunities and the experiences and the right turns and the left turns that have made your career and all the providential direction of your life? How'd that happen? Was it all just you? And who decided that you would be born now in this place where we've hit the historical jackpot? If you were born 100 years ago, life would look a lot different. If you were born in a different country, life would look a lot different. Why are you here? Whose, whose decision was that? And lastly, who says that you get one more heartbeat ultimately? You see, the kingdom of God begins to move it more from ownership, or from, um, like, yeah, from ownership of our ownership to stewardship. That what you have is gift and grace. What you have has been given. And when you see it as given, your approach to money becomes much different. That's why this is important. If you see it as given, and to the degree you see it as given, the way you manage your money looks a lot different. So you're looking up. It's a, it's a stewardship that God's given you. You're not looking down like it's mine. I earned it. That changes everything. Because once that grace enters your heart, grace changes the heart. First John chapter 3, John described it this way, how grace changes the heart. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Love in is love out. That's the first part. So we look up and not down. God gives us everything that affects our generosity. Then we also look down, not up. And here's what I, what I mean about that. This, again, I'm going to step on toes. But often when we see Jesus' words in Mark 10 about the rich and how hard it is for the rich to do this or that, when we think of the word rich, we think of our uncle who has an in-ground swimming pool. We don't think about us. It doesn't cross our mind that like a third of the world's population lives on less than $2.25 a day. And you say, Larry, I'm sick of you doing this. That's apples and oranges. That's an economy of scale. And my only defense to you would be, yeah, but would you want to trade places? How about this? I'll stop using the word rich to describe all of us. How about I'll use the word blessed? We are blessed. And blessed people who've been given much, they don't look up and say, well, he has more than me, she has more than me. We look down and say, yes, we are blessed. And so God calls us to giving and to giving it away. Do you want to know when this really grabbed a hold of my heart? 
is when I was in seminary. Now, we often think about seminary as, you know, learning Greek and Hebrew and theology and all this stuff, but I'm telling you, seminary has some absolutely formative moments. Here is one of mine that has kind of still wrecked Jan and I 30 years later. I was in a New Testament Greek class, and we were exegeting the book of James. Each student had a section. They had to get up and read from the Greek New Testament, translating it into English. My particular passage was in James chapter 2, the first part where it talks about how the church was showing um, uh, um, uh, pre uh, preferential treatment to the rich in the congregation. And Blomberg, you know, after giving me some, uh, a few areas that I really missed on the translation, he, he paused the class and he said, now, who's James talking about in terms of rich and poor? Who's the rich, he said. <laughs> and so all of us, you need to understand, and you, many of you have been to grad school. You know how this works. I mean, when you're in grad school and like Jan and I were like married and we were working between us four jobs, I, I was going to seminary full time. We were living on ramen noodles we, you know, it's a struggle. We were going to the Elvis movie theater for dollar movies, and we would eat popcorn left behind by people. One time. We did it one time. <laughs> it was a rub, right? Oh, so you've all been there. You've all started out, like in college, grads. It's a rough go. And so all of us are, you know, we're whiny seminary students like, whoa, we're not the rich. We're struggling to rub two nickels together. We're, that's not us. And Craig Blomberg, my favorite professor that I hate to this day, <laughs> he says, how many pairs of shoes do you have? More than most. How many changes of clothes do you have? Whiny seminary students, more than most. How many cars do you have? One, more than most. I hate you, Craig Blomberg. But he wrecked us so that we look down, not up, when we hear the word rich. How about you? Who are the rich? So that's our heart. Money reveals our heart. Money reveals whether we know who really owns it and its gift. Money reveals whether how we view our own wealth and if you know, we're willing to consider that we are the ones who should be the generous ones in this world because of what we have and where we live. The other way that money blinds us is not only to our own uh, hearts and our own wealth, it's, it's to this idea of eternity. If you go back to Mark 10 and look at verses 28 through 31, Peter speaks up as if you would expect anyone, it'd be Peter, to ask this question, we've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father, children, fields for me in the gospel who will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, along with persecutions in the age to come and in eternal life. What, there's this reversal here, right? You would expect us to say, expect Jesus to say, well, in the eternal, uh, in the new heavens and the new earth, we'll make everything right and you'll get all the riches you need there. There's a piece of that. And let me just say real quick, the other transformative moment for Jan and I that we've not been able to not be wrecked by is this book called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. Any of you read it? Powerful book. 
treasure principal, Randy Alcorn, and he has this one paragraph in there called the first five. And Randy Alcorn says, when we get to heaven and we see the beauty of Christ, those first five minutes will be spent at some point wishing we'd have given more away now. First five. That's the eternal invading the present. We have to use our money with eternity in mind because we're gonna be there a lot longer than we're gonna be here. But the interesting reversal is that Jesus says it's even in the now that you get rewarded for your giving. In this age, you will have a hundred times more. And I'm thinking, what is that? What does that look like? Well, I think that's what gets us to Compassion Sunday. That's the deep impact, right? For $43 a month, which, by the way, is less money than you now spend at Chick-fil-A with a family of four and two teenagers. For $43 a month, you dramatically change the life of a child around the world. Dramatically. Education, nutrition, health care, spiritual care, community. Many of us in this room, because we have so many kids in Uganda, we've taken trips down to meet our compassion kids. One time, on my 50th birthday, no offense to Jan and my sons, but the best birthday I've ever had was when I had the privilege of taking family gifts uh, to my two compassion kids. Down in Kampala, Uganda, rice, cooking oil, candy, Mountain Dew, a generating reading light, all that we could pack in, Jan and I, into this crate, and I took down. And we're there, and we, I, I, I see where they live, two-room shanty, no running water, no electricity. Uh, uh, Cynthia was about five years old, and I'm there, and we're bringing in all this stuff, and oh, a, a rooster... <laughs> bag of rice, did I say that? She grabs on to my leg, and, and I don't know where she got this word or even why she was saying it, but she kept saying, happy, happy, happy. Best birthday of my life. That's the way to do the 5-0. It has dramatically changed their lives. And it's not only their lives that get changed. That's the part of the hundredfold blessing. But your life gets changed and your families get changed by this kind of radical generosity. Take a look at a story of a Waterstone family, the Bigler family, and the impact Compassion's had on them. Um, my name is Karen Bigler and I have been coming to Waterstone for uh, 24 years now. Hi, I'm Nathan Beegler. I've been coming to Waterstone pretty much my entire life. Yeah, so we have three different Compassion kids. We have Elijah, Henry, and Patience. Um, all of them are in Uganda. Um, we've been supporting them for about five years or so now. Since June of 2016. Um, so actually it was a um, kind of what we're doing on Sunday, um, just a Compassion Sunday. My husband and I had always talked about having six kids and we ended up with only three. And that day he was like, let's get our last three. 
Yeah, I think for me, um, the biggest excitement for me was um, watching my kids start to pray for other people, um, especially Nathan. Um, and that's why we took him on the trip was he um, just had a heart. Like every time we would pray, he'd be like, we need to make sure we're praying for our kids. So when I went to visit my, to visit my Compassion Kids, um, I was 13 years old. So it was very much a eye-opening trip. As a 13-year-old um, in middle school, it's easy to look at yourself and your problems and go, oh, woe is me, right? Um, and then getting to go over there and getting to meet these children, it really changed my perspective on myself and how my life should look. Just like with meeting any you know, kids that you haven't met, um, they knew who we were from our letters, but to see us in person um, was just fun. Um, to see where they lived um, and to see how our, our support actually worked. Um, for me, the impact over the years um, have kind of unfolded slowly where when you hear about something in the news or you hear about um, people who maybe don't have as much as we do or um, are struggling, um, there's a face to put with it. Yeah, so one thing I would say to anyone who's considering supporting a compassion child is when we look at the early church in Acts and Romans, we see them um, selling all that they have, giving up all their possessions to give to the church and support those around them. Um, compassion isn't asking anyone to do that. Um, it's a lot simpler, it's a lot easier, but it's still making an incredible difference in the kingdom. At the end of the service, after we sing a prayer, we'll have some more instructions about how to go out and adopt your first compassion child or your seventh compassion child. And uh, we'll explain all that in a few moments. But just before we sing, uh, I just want to share this, that one of the things that's happening right now in this moment is that Jesus is reaching out to each one of us. As he did with the rich young ruler, he looked on him and loved him. And right now in this moment, Jesus looks on us and he loves us. You think and you ask, why did Jesus love this rich young ruler? And you know, the answer for God so loved the world. Okay, okay, I get it. But don't you think he also loved him because Jesus saw the hunger in his heart? Perhaps you're here today and you have that hunger in your heart. You've tried everything in this life. You've, you've made it to the top in work and wealth. You've made it to the top the way you look and the, the romances and everything else you've had. And there's still this gnawing in you. And Jesus looks at you and loves you, one millennial to another, and says, follow me. Get everything else out of the middle. I want to bring you home. So in this moment, if we could pray for just a moment, would you pray with me? And if that's you this morning, you are longing for something more. Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Give your highest allegiance to me. Give me your heart. Become part of my story. And you will find home. Not just in the new heavens and the new earth, but now. You will be home. I am the love that you've longed for. It's as simple as in this quietness of the next space, just saying, Jesus, please save me.
Lord Jesus, we praise and honor you as the one who chases orphan children around the world to try and rescue them and radically change their life. And we praise you as the one who loves the rich young ruler who has everything in life, but not you. You are in pursuit. And if there's anyone here this morning in you are in pursuit of, make it clear to them and even invade their life now as they look to you, even a look to you, and you're running towards them. And so, Lord Jesus, meet them and come into their life. Change them. Thank you for your grace. God, we worship you as the God of the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, and the poor. And may your heart draw our heart to them. We praise you, we worship you. May we be known by our love. In Jesus' name, and we say together, amen. 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 Let's stand, let's sing together this prayer.